There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Millennial Love, a podcast from The Independent focusing on everything to do with sexuality, relationships, identity, and more. We touch on a wide variety of topics ranging from how to have feminist sex to how dating has changed in the post-Me Too era. I'm your host, Olivia Petter, and today on the programme, I'm joined by activist and writer Gina Martin and illustrator Flo Perry to discuss how to have feminist sex. Enjoy the show. You guys can say hi. (laughs) The idea of feminist sex, it confuses me, actually, just the words together, because Mm -hmm. I think I understand the concept, but when you hear the words feminist sex, you think, "What, what the hell is that? Um, so could you please explain, Flo? I understand why you're confused, because I think most most people, feminism isn't very sexy. It's not something that people fantasise about. Like, ooh, equality. Mm, yeah, I can't wait to, like, have all my rights and then talk about them for a long time and then have sex. I'm quite turned on you just saying that. <laughs> some, people, some people might be turned on by that. Most people are like, like, like an unequal power dynamic during sex, which isn't very feminist. Um... But I think it can be because I think for me, feminist sex is just about knowing what you want and being able to communicate that and not having the sex you think you ought to be having to please your partner necessarily, but just the sex that you want to be having and not the sex that we see in movies and on TV, which is just meant to magically happen and be amazing and beautiful the first time around, but sex that you can work on with communication and is like any other part of the relationship that evolves over time and is a complex beautiful project between two or more people and do you think that not enough of us are having feminist sex yeah I think that like for a lot of people getting the boyfriend getting the girlfriend like getting the relationship that is the goal and we're so scared of being single that once you have the boyfriend or the girlfriend, you don't think about, is this the sex I want to be having? And you don't prioritise your own pleasure and satisfaction. I think a lot of, especially women, do not do that. When you think about the idea of feminist sex, Gina, is that is communication the main thing that comes to mind? can't actually think of anything else more important <laughs> in sex. Like, communication is huge. It's, it's huge in any relationship, but I feel like sex is, sex is like a microcosm of all of the power dynamic of the the um, dynamic of your relationship just in the bedroom, you know? So it almost, if your relationship isn't communicative and if it's not equal in, in a, a good way, in the way it should be, then in the bedroom it's going to be the same. And I feel like what you're talking about, Flo, is really great because, like, especially with women there's so much that comes before your pleasure. Like your safety comes before your pleasure. Like that shouldn't come before your pleasure. You know, there's so many different things that we're worried about. And there's also so, there's such a low bar for what we expect that we deserve in the bedroom as well. I mm. think communication is just huge. And that's been drilled into me by my parents as well. Um, and has been all the way through my relationships. Um, yeah, it's gotta be. It's, sex and communication are mutually exclusive. 
Do you think when communication is poor in a relationship, a sexual relationship, it leads to us women in particular, obviously sort of just accepting things and brushing things off that are really not acceptable at all? I think probably, yeah. I think it's very difficult as well for me to give an opinion because I had two relationships my whole life. I've had sex with two men my whole life. I'm also straight, very heteronormative experience. But my experience of the two I've had, which were both very long-term, both very different, was that. that The first relationship, there wasn't much communication and I kind of brushed off stuff I shouldn't have brushed off and tried to exist in comparison in relation to the guy instead of existing as my own person I was this person's girlfriend and I was trying to be this person's girlfriend and trying to be what they would expect of me instead of just talking about how I wanted to feel um and the relationship I'm, I'm in now which has been seven years is the opposite it's incredibly healthy and communication is pretty much the linchpin for the whole relationship um so I, and because of that like you say I don't brush stuff off and I don't just get on with stuff and everything is laid out you know and that's so much of a happier healthier space to be in I think do you have a similar experience, Flo, in your relationship history? Uh, no. <laughs> I've been a right slag. Yay! Good! <laughs> um, yeah, I've slept with loads of people, both men and women, um, and I've had more than two relationships. And every single one has been different. I mean, a lot mm. of the men's sex has been exceptionally similar. But <laughs> Yes, I mean, I'm not surprised by that at all. <laughs> um, but uh, and a lot of the women's sex has been run-of-the-mill. Not going to be equal opportunities. <laughs> Lots of people are bad in bed. <laughs> oh, that does not surprise me. Me included, probably, for some of those lucky people that I've encountered. Um, what was the question? <laughs> Uh, I guess my question was, have you experienced difficulty communicating what you want from sex with yeah, previous partners? Yeah, I mean, partners? when I was 17, yeah. I was awful at it. I couldn't mm. talk about anything. Like, Surely all of us were. Like, everyone in the world surely was too, you know? Yeah, oh my God. When I was a teenager, I, I had a long-time girlfriend in sixth form, and we didn't talk about sex at all. It was just something that kind of happened, and like, or, like anything I could get, I was like, great. Yeah, this is great. <laughs> yeah, I'm so exactly. lucky. <laughs> Um, and now, like in my in my current relationship, like I feel weird about talking about my current relationship because like <laughs> they're out there. But like, <laughs> yeah, they can hear no, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah, talk to me. <laughs> Not that all the other ones are dead, but like, <laughs> oh my god, can you imagine? <laughs> Just assume that they'll listen. Um, yeah, yeah all, all, like all we talk about is sex. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's so important. It's so funny, and also like I think I think there's this weird assumption actually that as you get older people particularly men don't talk about sex with one another no. as much as women really? do they do talk about sex but i don't think in an honest way no that's exactly. the difference and this is all sweeping generalizations but my experience with straight cis guys that i know there is a conversation about sex uh, there's a bravado conversation there's like a boasting conversation or like a yeah i had sex with this girl or did this or whatever mm. but there isn't a i'm kind of worried because my some something to do with my genitals or uh do you do this or like is that weird if this happens or there doesn't seem to be like an open raw conversation more of like a how's sex with you yeah great cool pat on the back you know what i mean that's what i've experienced growing up but i don't know if that's the same for everyone yeah i would say i'm the same the um definitely the straight cisgendered men who i know they don't talk about sex in the same open and honest way that me and my female friends do but even even me and my female friends you know it's not particularly when you're in a relationship, you don't really have those same conversations. It's no. almost like the longer you've been in a relationship, the more private your sex yeah, life becomes. So yeah, that's I really so noticed true. that. But I think that that can also be a bit problematic because you obviously still have things you want to talk about and you yeah. want to share. Yeah. And, you know, if you don't talk about them, then we can't address them. No, and I think so it's true. like 
obviously you want some things between you and your partners to stay private but at the same time I think you should be able to be like look I've like I'm just gonna have to talk about this with my best friend um and like your partner should be cool with that and like the fact that you have someone else you can share that with because you have no one to share something with then you you don't know what's normal you need someone to like yeah, have a so bouncing true. board of like yeah that sounds great and if they're like hopefully that's a good best friend and like you don't want like a judgmental best friend who's gonna be like oh my god you're a freak why are you doing that no yeah <laughs> but like I think that is really important to have to keep talking about sex with your friends as well as your partner so that we all just like because it also develops it right well. like if you're together for 15 years like your sex life is going to change because you change people so Definitely. like the fact that things are developing and then you're not talking about it because you're worried about say this person doesn't Oh, what would what would my partner want me to talk about or not? But like like you say, then have that conversation with your partner. And if you can't have that conversation with your partner, then maybe that's something to think about, you know? Because it's still your body and it's still your pleasure, even though you've been having sex with the same person for how, however long, you know? So you should still, yeah, you're totally right. You should still be able to have those conversations. Do you think, um, Gina, given the work you've done in terms of upskirting, do you think having more conversations combining feminism and sex and talking about female sexuality in this way can help combat some of these incidents of sexual harassment like upskirting yes I think having conversations around feminism and gender equality in general is critical very very young we should be doing that very very young friend of mine does that with young boys in schools at like between 10 I think it is and 18 and so by the time they're 15 16 they've kind of opted out of all the learnings and stereotypical kind of damaging learnings they'd already learned um so having those conversations around uh, gender equality yes I think particularly around gender though like about non not just binary gender as well having really honest discussions around gender with um young people and I think yeah I think having honest raw discussions about sex as well like I grew up in a family who talked to me about stuff way earlier than any of my friends did like when I came in my period my dad and my mum like threw a party like they were so excited for me it was really everything was really positive experience like a really open conversation and we're having conversations only in a very heteronormative way anyway about sex with kids who are 16 and they've already been having sex or thinking about it or learning about it anyway off the internet so they already have all these preconceived ideas that aren't good for them to have we need to be having those conversations way earlier and I think there's a worry that you can't have conversations about consent or sex with young kids because of the sexual nature of them you can have a conversation with it. You can you can teach a two-year-old consent by, you know, when they meet a family friend going, can I give you a hug? No, okay, fine, high five. That's a consent conversation in in the context of their age. Like, we need to learn to have these conversations earlier. So I think, yeah, gender, feminism and sex, all those conversations need to be happening a lot earlier and that can lead to probably way more um, healthy and fulfilling sex lives. I imagine whoever you are and whoever you love, like, that's what we need to be aiming for, I think. For me, my sex life has always been with men and women. I actually came out as gay at 15 mm. and then like went backwards, well, not backwards, no. in a new direction yeah. to bisexuality um, when I was 18. Um, so the reverse come out, which is a very unique experience. <laughs> is that the reverse come out? That's what I call it. Yeah. I like that. Nice. It's <laughs> good. I thought I was the only person who ever did it, and then it was recently on the TV show The Bisexual on Channel Four, which yeah, is no loads of people have done it. But no one talks no, about it, so that's why you're yeah. like, oh, yeah. shit, I'm the only person. But um, so yeah, talking about sex isn't really a gendered thing for me. No. <laughs> um, because I yeah, I've had lots of sex with 
people of different genders. But growing up, did you find that like a lot of the narratives around sex that you were hearing from the media and everything else which were heteronormative, even though you were like, that's totally normal for me to talk about sex because this is like, it's a human experience, it's my life. Did you feel like those conversations weren't reflected or were you surrounded by them because of your pe- people you're around or...? So I'm very lucky. I grew up in lovely liberal, uh, liberal elite North London, and uh, I'm, I've got lovely parents. And I remember very early on that was like, when you grow up, um, when you get um, a wife or a husband, you know, that was always yes. like when you get a boyfriend or a girlfriend. When I came out, they were still like, uh, what? But like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in like a much less way than most people's parents, I imagine. Yeah. Um, but it's like I think. Yeah, I never, I was very lucky. I think one of the main things that I think why I always was quite cool with my own sexuality and never had like huge, I don't say that I like did lots of crying when I was 15, but I think that's just a broad, (laughs) broad experience rather than like a gay experience (laughs) Um, was that in my school, I went to an all girls school, which was actually great. And, like, four years above me, there was, like, a really hot butch lesbian in my school. And there were, like, loads of rumours about her. Everyone fancied her. She was, like... There were, like, rumours went around that was, like... I hope she's listening. (laughs) Should I say her name? I don't know. I've talked to her on Facebook recently. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There you are. Um, And, and like, seeing that she had a good experience and that that was cool for her and people respected her. And according to the rumours, she got laid a lot. Like... Kind of made it all fine. That's so good. So great. And I think having those personal role models, even though she never really knew she was my role model. Though once she called me Mini-Me. Oh my God, yes. Did you die? You must have been like, yes. When I was like 12 and she was like 16 (laughs) because we had the same shoes. And I was like... I love you. Um, (laughs) An immediate bonding experience when you have the same shoes as someone. Huge. Yeah. Uh, They were comic strip covered Converse. Remember them? Oh, glorious. Um, when you when you talked about actually having conversations with your parents, I think that's really interesting. Do you think having an open dialogue with your parents about sex as a teenager really helps you become quite comfortable with your sexuality as you as you grow older, or do you think sometimes it can push you into the other direction and kind of make you feel a bit more embarrassed and you'll be like, oh no, I don't want to talk about sex because that's something that my weird mum does all the time. Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's how it's done though, isn't it? Because like if you if you sit your kids down and you're like, we're talking about sex, right? Sex is a thing, you need to know about it. This is what it's like. I know this isn't comfortable, but blah, blah, blah. You're like, oh shit, too much information. No, this sounds like a scary thing. But if it's done in a way that is just naturally in conversation as those conversations arise, in a way that isn't, uh, doesn't pick it out as this kind of odd thing that has to be done that we have to talk to you about because that's our job, but we don't want to, you know? If it's natural and it's it's easy to talk about. And and also, I always find humour is huge. Like, my mum and dad, like, they laugh about it and be like, I know, it's weird, but that's how you're here, you know? You gotta <laughs> laugh about it. That makes you normalise something that's actually a really positive thing. It should be a positive thing. Sex should be such a positive thing in your life. It should be this thing that, you know, it's about love and it's about, you know, fun and it's about all the, really, joy and pleasure. And, like, so why is it, like, packaged up this negative thing? It should be this positive part of your life. So if that conversation is normalised and and it's funny, and it's fun, and it's, you know, not stressful, then I guess, well, for me, it just made me think, okay, well, this is just part of what happens. You grow up and, like, you have sex with people that you find attractive or that you want to have fun with or that you fall in love with, and it sounds like a fun part of life. It didn't sound like this weird, scary thing that I had to get my head around because I didn't frame it that way. So for me, it was really positive to have those conversations early. I think really important that, like, to have positive conversations about sex. I think a lot of women, the first time they learn about 
the, like the first conversations they have around sex are, don't get pregnant, don't get an STI, yes. you will die. Yes. Like, like that scene in Mean Girls. Don't get raped, don't get pregnant. Exactly like Sticks that scene in, in everyone's head. It's all the negative. That should yeah. be like the secondary thoughts, hopefully, and that sex should be primarily a fun, positive thing yeah. in most people's lives. And also not just talking about it in the, in the frame of love as well. Like when you love someone, so, which is true, but like when you love someone so much, you, you know, have sex and you're in a, in a partnership or whatever, like there should also be a narrative about it being fun. Mm, you know, yeah. like instead of it just being about love and being like the very obvious cookie cutter idea of what we have in a book about what sex is like mm. and yeah it's such a good thing it's such a positive speaking thing speaking of which actually you mentioned this uh, you talk about one night stands in the book Flo mm. and I think it's so bizarre how even today in 2019 like you know for men having a one night stand it makes them a lad it makes them you know a mm. hero a Casanova whatever whereas there's this strange culture of shame surrounding it for women that oppresses sexually liberated women and that I think really comes to the fore when we talk about one night stands why do you think that's still a problem I don't know (laughs) (laughs) because who are all the men having their one night stands with usually women (laughs) I mean yeah I have no idea and like it blows my mind in in Love Island they always do that bit where it's like how many people have slept with they like find a way to bring it up yeah and all the men are usually like 87 and everyone's like okay and the women are like 23 and everyone's like (gasps) yeah literally yeah apart from when i think it was last year when it was megan barton hansen who said she'd slept with like over 100 men or something it was 37 i remember was it 37 yeah god that's so weird that i've remembered it like that because i remember the outrage yeah yeah (laughs) i remember the outrage to that and i remember people really chastising her for that and being like what the hell so that's so weird how in my brain it's it's a lot more i remember exactly 37 because maybe it was a common number with someone in the room (laughs) yay (laughs) (laughs) that is so good it's weird though, isn't it? Like the narrative around it is mad, but that's because the narrative is controlled by guys, pretty much. Mm. Like the narrative is being pushed by guys. I like. I honestly cannot tell you why it's still a thing when so many things, other things, aren't still a thing. And obviously, it's not still a thing with like me and my friends. So I find it hard to be like. Actually, it wasn't in the first draft of the book I wrote, and then my editor was like, "Why haven't you mentioned like players?" Yeah. Like the player slut dynamic is a thing, and I was like, "Oh yeah!" Mm. And then you do some reading and you watch Love Island, and you realise, "Oh my god, it's still a fucking thing!" Like, yeah. this yeah. is still the coming mainstream up. Mainstream narrative is still skewed that way. And also, get over it, guys. The gendered idea of fuck boys. There's no fuck girls. That's not a thing. Fuck boys is like the term to use mm. for men who are sleeping yeah. around and messing women around. And it's like, what's the term for women who want to do that? I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying I condone the behaviour in either either sense, no. <laughs> but like it shouldn't just be a masculine thing. Yeah. Speaking of which, I wanted to talk about Me Too because you do actually also touch on this in the book a bit. You have an illustration where uh, there is a man saying the classic line of "I just think it's a witch hunt out there for men today," which is something that you hear time and time again mm-hmm. since the Me Too movement emerged. And it makes my blood boil, and I'm sure it makes your blood boil as well. Um, what do you say to men who say things like that to you, Flo? Um, I would just say literally talk to any of your female friends because it is like if you've had like a lot of close female friendships or even just any, you like or you experience yourself, you know how common these things are. Like I have friends, everyone knows someone who has had these horrible, horrible things happen to them. Yeah. Or it, or it's themselves. And, or you know, everyone knows many people. It's just so common. Mm. And I think actually also the idea of 
you know, it being a witch hunt out there for men, it conflates these ideas of flirting and harassment, which is so bizarre because it's like, surely there is a clear-cut difference between what constitutes flirting and what constitutes harassment. Is that something that you have, you know, you've had conversations with people about, Gina? Have you experienced that? Too much. I can't (laughs) deal with... Like, that's my biggest thing. I just saw a a campaign, a print campaign from... um, I think it was Yorkshire Council or somewhere based on the upskirting campaign. It was like a... It said flirting, then it had a purple line, and then it said upskirting, and it said know where the line is. Like there's a line and you're flirting, and oh, I accidentally just stepped over the line and now I'm abusing someone. The idea of abuse being a compliment is still such a fucking narrative, and I don't understand why it's not the same thing. Being, like, sexualising yourself and being sexualised by someone else is not the same thing. I don't understand how hard that, how, how that's so hard to get into someone's head, our heads. But I do understand that our culture has normalised this kind of damaging rhetoric for so long. There are, you know, I get upset because sometimes I'll say to guys, like, talk to all the women in your life, and they do. And some of the women will say, like, yeah, no, it's fine. I find it a compliment when someone, like, you know, beeps at me from a car or shouts something at me, or like, or it's funny or whatever, because we've also internalised the fact that that's normal and that's our lives. Um, and we just really have to... The, the witch hunt thing is really interesting as well because... It's not that far off from the whole, like, not all men thing. It's, this is a witch hunt out here, you know. Yeah, it is. Yes, we're hunting men who are abusing women. So, yeah, it is, as it should be. Like, that's not a bad thing that we're trying to find out, these men that have been doing things to women and trying to deconstruct this culture that has been hurting people for so long. That's not a bad thing. But I think... As soon as you say there's a we have an ass, a massive problem in society, the community with who those people belong to get very defensive. It's exactly the same with race and white people. Like we just can't talk about it because we feel like immediately we're part of the problem, and like we have to be able to somehow convince guys to put their ego aside and go, yeah, this probably is a big problem, and there probably are parts of my behaviour that I've been there as well. Yes, I might not have raped someone, but I've probably made those jokes. I've probably furthered that narrative in some way, and I don't really know how we do that apart from have really, really honest conversations and get the guys who really understand that and can see that in our lives to go and further that work as well. I just I hate the idea that like every system of oppression, that the burden falls on the people who are oppressed to deconstruct it as well as deal with it. I just don't I just don't think that's right and I don't understand that. So it's really good guys as well that can do this work too, I think. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I guess to finish off, uh, would you mind, Flo, sharing your one tip for uh, 
women and men, everyone, to have more feminist sex. More feminist. One tip to have more feminist sex. Mm. Um, I would just say communicate, but also prioritise your own pleasure and what you want and find out what you want. I think men are pretty good at this on the whole. Yeah, theirs is more listen, really. (laughs) (laughs) But I think women, like, really dissect your own fantasies. Spend some time in them, like, have a wank and, like, think about what you are wanking about and, like, how that translates into what you want in bed and then ask for it. And, like, don't be scared of that. And which is really, really scary doing that because that's like your intimate private thoughts that you haven't even really fully consciously put into the outside. Mm. But then when you do, hopefully it will feel amazing. And then when you're having the sex where you've done that and you're both like fulfilling each other's fantasies, then I think maybe that's the point of life. Yeah, it is. <laughs> is that the meaning great... of life? Maybe. What that amazing... is the meaning of life. <laughs> Such what a, a good big bullshit filter as well because if you say it and they don't get it then you're like okay bye you know what I mean like if you like I want this and they're like whoa, 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 and get really defensive it's I a great know. filter I, I'm not sure about that because I think like I think if you say I want this and they're like oh I'm not sure about that then I think that's understandable because it depends what you're asking for okay I mean <laughs> of course in a nice way but if someone's being an arsehole and makes you feel bad about asking for your own yeah. pleasure then it's a really great way of being able to tell okay maybe this person isn't Someone I want to spend a lot of time with, you know? If someone shames you for yeah, something exactly. you want, then, then yeah, that's, yeah, that's that is I mean. a... Like, red alert. That big was, that big was red flag. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> big red flag. <laughs> it's time for our Lessons in Love segment. So this is the part of the podcast where I ask the guests to share something they've learned from their love and relationship experiences. So Flo, you, you sent over a few lessons, which I like. I like that you've sent over three. I like options. So I think given what we've been talking about, uh, would you like to start off by telling us why one of your lessons is bad sex doesn't need to be a big deal? Yeah. As someone who has had a lot of bad sex, <laughs> it, yeah, it doesn't need to be a big deal. Like I'm like, I like really enjoyed some of the bad sex I've had. <laughs> like And by bad sex you just mean it was uncomfortable, it was awkward, you had partners that didn't really I mean I never saw them again. Like I barely remember it. Did I come? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but that like it's not a big deal. Like and I've learned I'm really grateful for all of those experiences. But I don't I don't even need to be grateful. It's just like sex doesn't have to be a big deal. Mm. And I think that is something I'm quite passionate about. The fact that what does need to be a big deal is like respecting yourself, using protection, being safe, using contraception. That should be a big deal. The actual like having of the sex casually. Yeah. Like as long as you're being safe, whatever. And if if it if you doesn't like if you like, you know, if you decide you don't want to see them again or if they decide they don't have a they want, they want to see you again. Mm. That doesn't need to be like, oh man, I wasted one of my precious no. numbers. It can just be like, oh well, bye. One of my precious numbers. That's so true. Precious <laughs> is such an interesting word though because does, that does feed into like the narrative of being like, your precious self and only give yourself to people if you're, you know, all that bullshit, mm. that whole bullshit narrative. Like there's going to be bad sex, it's going to be good sex, like it's sex. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, have fun with surprised. it. Yeah. I've had like transformatively great one night stands. Yes. I feel like that's rare. Well, not transformatively great in the fact that, like, in the way that, like, I had so much fun. Yeah. That's the only way I, like, mean, like, and I still think about them. (laughs) Yay! Name them. (laughs) Give them a shout. Uh, So sexual compatibility Mm -hmm. was another one of your lessons. Do you want to explain why you chose that? Um, I think, I just think 
So this is like something I think that straight people can really learn from gay people. Because uh, gay people generally, by gay people, I mean people having sex with other people of the same genitals, um, have to talk more about what they're going to do in the bedroom than straight people because there's more options mm. and there's more like different roles you can play. Um, and I think that straight people could really learn about the fact, like asking for what they want like gay people do, of being like, actually, oh, sorry, I'm just trying to think of how to say this in a like vaguely like safe for work way where I just don't reveal everything about my own sex life. <laughs> story of my life <laughs> Amazing. um yeah like I think that yeah talking about more about what you want and like not just assuming that what you want is just what everyone else wants yes. and that's you know like yes. everyone just wants a big man who like wants like to pick up a little lady yeah. and throw her on the ground like <laughs> that sounds shit <laughs> I don't in know my some head. people my head. love that yeah, but like yeah yeah that's not everyone some <laughs> men want a big woman to sit on their face and tell them they're gross and disgusting. And, you know, and this is, like, equally, like, kind of normal. Both of these scenarios. And gay people know that because it's not, like, those roles aren't so gendered. I just use, like, very extreme examples of power dynamics. But, like... Yes, yeah, no, I get it. Most sex has a power dynamic and it doesn't need to be the way that gender roles are in our society always. Oh, kind of, that's a great way to put it. Was it? Was yeah. that good? Very, very eloquent. Very well done. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you have you have one more rejection. Do you want to explain why you chose rejection? <laughs> yeah. Um, as I recently had a short but powerful stint on great dating apps. <laughs> powerful. <laughs> I love it. Um, and I did a lot of rejecting, and I got a lot of rejection. And I just think I am actually a world leading expert in rejection now. Um, I got really good. So my friends found this like absolutely mind blowing that I did this, but I'm really like spreading the message. This is something that you should do. Um, I had a 23 minute date once where like I I met up with the guy and we had one drink very quickly, obviously. And I just, I just knew I did not fancy him at all. And I I just knew that like, it just was not going to happen. I did not want to snog him. I did not want that awkward moment where we were both like, is this going to happen? So I just like told him, I was like, look, I'm having a great time. I think you're really nice. I think you're a really good looking guy. But for me, like, I am not feeling this romantically. Um, so I'll like have another drink with you if you want. But like, I, I just thought you should know that. And he was like, oh, thanks. Uh, I guess I'm going to go then. Yeah. And then it was just fine. But then it's fine because you've put it on the table. And, and I was glad I didn't have to have another drink, really. So yeah, I'm yeah. So and I did that. I spent so much time trying to, like, oh, my, my friends all the time come home and they're like, oh, I was in for five hours and I got absolutely one kid because I didn't want to be there. And then, yeah. like, they tried to get me to go home to his house and I was like, I really don't want to. And then he was like, but I spent all night with you. It's like you owe someone something. Mm, yeah. Instead of just being like, this is how we both feel or how I feel. How do you feel? You know? I did it three times uh, in my short period. 23 minutes was my record. Oh. I'm so impressed. I think I did it once. I stayed for an hour and a half, and I, and then I got to. I knew within minutes because you yeah. do, you yeah. know, when if, yeah. you, if you're not into someone. But I stuck it out for an hour and a half, and then eventually I was like, I went to the loo and I came back and I said, right, I've ordered an Uber. It's been lovely to meet you. See, see ya. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> and and just and just left, and that was, that was the boldest I'd ever done it. But it's it's hard. I think actually telling someone like you're great, but not for me. Yeah. Because we all have people. And they will have felt like that on a date at some point. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, we all have best friends that we, we think are amazing that we don't want to shag. Yes. So, you know, 
you don't have to want to shag everyone. No, that's so true. That's a really good way of putting it. Uh, Gina, your lesson uh, to me seems to also be very related to what we were talking about. Um, so it's mainly, I think, about autonomy. Is that right? Yeah, mine's m- more about yeah autonomy and like long-term relationships. Like that's all I really know. But um, it's the comparison from my previous relationship to my current relationship. And I remember my previous relationship, I said to my mum... I realised that this was unhealthy and I said to my mum, I won't say his name because he's a lovely person, just not for me. But I said, um, I'm getting to a stage where I feel like I am Blank's girlfriend, not I am Gina Martin. Like I feel like that I am his girlfriend and that's my role. I think that's so common actually. And that's really odd. And I realised that was weird. My mum went, that's not good. And then in my relationship with now is there's just so much I'm just so there's so much autonomy I am my own person and like he's from Australia we've been together for seven years and for the first two years we were like basically long distance Australia to the UK and Greece to the UK and like he works away a lot and I have my own job we have completely different lives completely different jobs completely different interests but we love each other we're like best friends that want to have sex with each other that's kind of it like we're just completely independent people so my advice was really, for myself as well, when I was younger, but was really, unless you're your own person, unless you feel your independence is supported and your identity develops alongside them, not from them, it's not healthy love. That's how I feel. I don't. I feel like codependency in a relationship just isn't healthy. And, and it will so often go south. And you will so often lose part of yourself and they may lose part of themselves unless you really honestly feel like you are your own person, but you just can't help but be with this person because they're your best friend in the whole world. I just don't think it's healthy love. Was there, in your previous relationship, do you think there was a power dynamic there, either with, I don't know, what he did for a living or if he was older than you, or was there some sort of power dynamic that elicited that kind of codependency? I think there was a gendered power dynamic. There wasn't... A, we, were, we were quite young, and we'd known each other since we were four because he was a family friend, so as people, we were fairly, like... There wasn't really power dynamic in terms of like maybe intelligence because he was incredibly academic and I'm really not. So I think maybe for me that was like, oh, he's so bright and I'm so not. But I think there was a gendered thing where it was like he was the boyfriend and he and he cared quite a lot of people thought about him in a way that I just didn't. And I think there was a jealousy from his side because I was very loud. He was very quiet. And so when we'd go to places, he'd get kind of ang- not angry, but he'd get kind of upset that everyone talked to me or I talked to everyone. And he was always in my shadow. So there was a there was a personality dynamic that just didn't fit there. And therefore, I closed my mouth more and tried to make myself smaller. And, you know, instead of just being proud of being the person I am. Um, so I definitely think, yeah, there's a gendered power dynamic in the fact that as the guy, maybe he should have been the, the one at the front and I should have been the one behind as the woman, which I just didn't realize until it ended and looking back on that now, it's like, God, that was not a healthy relationship. Um, it's but weird, I think, isn't it, that it, it takes it takes retrospection. Yeah, yeah, it takes hindsight to actually realise all of that. Which is why these conversations are so important, which is why social media is so important, which is why your illustrations and, like, mm-hmm. seeing these things, they make you reframe your own experience in a way that you just wouldn't unless you were looking back. And so you have to have these conversations to make you go, well, she's saying that happened in her life or they're saying that happened in their life. Actually, mate, that sounds familiar. Maybe that's happening with my relationship. Maybe I haven't thought about this. It's really yeah, healthy to do that. It's about questioning everything, I yeah. think. If, if something doesn't make you feel comfortable and if you feel like you are having to change the person you are, you're, in the, you're fundamentally in an unhealthy relationship, surely. Yeah. Like, yeah. you shouldn't have to change anything about yourself. That's all we have time for this week on Millennial Love. Follow Independent Lifestyle on social media to keep up to date with what's coming up on the show. And if you're a new listener, remember to subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you listen. 
Also, leave us a rating and comment with your thoughts on our conversation today. Until next time, thanks a lot for listening. Goodbye. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.